When I was a kid, we had several family traditions during the Christmas season. I bet you, you can think back of some family traditions. Uh, one of our family traditions was on one evening, we would load up the car and we would go driving around and looking at Christmas lights. Now, we actually love to go to look at Christmas lights at a section of our town called The Hill. Uh, I lived in Kansas, so even though the area of Kansas I lived in was not pool table flat, it was rolling, there weren't many places that you could call The Hill. But in Salina, The Hill was the place to go, namely because on The Hill was the Salina Country Club. And so you can imagine that the homes that were built around the Salina Country Club were the nice houses. Uh, and uh, so we would go and we would look at the lights on the hill. Their light displays, because these people usually had the money to have them professionally put up. That, that was long before I knew that you could do that. Uh, were, were just amazing. They were spectacular. There were lots of oohs and lots of ahs and coming from our car. And it was just enjoyable to go up and to look at lights on the hill. Even when I came home from college a couple of Christmases, we would go look at lights on the hill. Now we live in a digital age, right? Yes, we can drive around and look at lights, and sometimes you can pull up to a house and tune your radio to a low FM frequency channel, and you can listen to music that the lights are perfectly synced to. Sometimes uh, you can walk through a neighborhood. My, our our uh, daughter and son-in-law live uh, a block away from what is called in their neighborhood Candy Cane Lane. And in this one stretch of road, there everybody puts up lights. I mean, the, the houses are decked out. Uh, there, you can actually park your car and walk, and, and every so often there's a little archway with lights. It's just amazing. And there are neighborhoods that do that. I saw a thing on the, the news the other night where uh, a whole neighborhood somewhere in the Northeast, they, one family strung a light to another family because a family member was sick, and they felt so blessed by the connection that they, their whole street is crisscrossed. There's a street in South Wheaton that's that way as well. Oh, we love lights. Sometimes, though, we, it's too cold or too windy to get out, so we could just log on to YouTube or Facebook and look at a light display that's posted online. But in one way or another, lights attract. That's what they do. That's their job. The job of the lights outside every display is, is to attract attention. Light does its job quite well. I was thinking about light, and I realized there are a lot of other kinds of light. If you have a newer vehicle, it is equipped now with LED headlights, and they are bright. And if you're driving that vehicle, I had the privilege of driving one a few weeks ago. In fact, it was so strange because the, the bright beams were on an automatic feature. So I'm driving on Swift Road, and the bright beams go on, and I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do anything. And then the car comes up. They go off, and they go back on. And sometimes that works real well, and sometimes it's like you're driving a strobe light, and they're kind of confused. If you're the driver with LED headlights, it's wonderful. It illuminates. If you're the oncoming driver to LED headlights, it's mind-blowing. It's like, where do I look? How do I avert the light, you know? Just don't drive to the light. 
But that technology has made it possible for a lot of road construction to be done at night, third shift, midnight to six, and so that there's not as much road congestion, theoretically. Lights allow for security. Lights allow for safety. Whether it's to attract attention, illuminate a subject, provide security and safety, light always serves a purpose. Take your Bibles, if you have them this morning, and turn to the Gospel of John. This is the second Sunday of Advent. This Sunday, we're talking about, uh, all through the Advent season, we're talking about living life after the manger, and today we're going to talk about living as a light. The concept of light is used repeatedly throughout the Bible to consistently point us to God and point us to the path that He wants us to take in life. Light is an important spiritual concept. In Isaiah chapter 9, that very familiar chapter that in verse 6 has the the names of the one to come, uh, the the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, uh, has all the wonderful counselor. Before that, in verse 2, it talks about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Playing off of that, an old man by the name of Simeon, he appears only in the Bible in Luke chapter 2. He had been promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Wanders in, in fact he didn't wander in, it says he was led by the Spirit into the temple. The day that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in to have him dedicated. And Simeon sees him and knows immediately who this child is. And it wasn't odd for an old man to go and to bless a a couple with a young baby. That that wasn't like a freak-out moment for them. It was considered really something special. And he he takes the child and and he speaks prophecy and he tells he's a light to light the way for the Gentiles. Light. We're going to look at two passages today. Two passages where Jesus referred to himself as the light. And what we're going to learn today is how do I live in the light? How do I live as a light? Because if Jesus is the light and I follow him, it stands to reason that my life will reflect the light of Jesus. Now, I've told you to turn to John chapter 8, but those of you who've been part of our Wednesday night study know that I can't start there because there's stuff that begins ahead of that. I'll give you a quick summary. John chapter 7 and 8 take place during what was known as the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Hebrew word, and I only say this because when I say it, you'll say, oh wait, I've heard that on the news, is Sukkot. Why is that significant? Because Sukkot... Feast of Tabernacles was the feast that had been celebrated right before the terror attack of Hamas. In fact, that feast ended on Friday night. Shabbat, Sabbath, started on Saturday morning, Friday at, at, uh, at sunset, and it was during Shabbat that the attack happened. But it was Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Bill, could you uh, give Luella a hand in? 
It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a, a joyous time. It was like a week-long camp out. Another reason I'm glad God didn't make me Jewish, because I don't like to camp out. But for them, it was a week-long camp out, because they would remember that their ancestors lived in booths in the wilderness. And during that time, they were celebrating. They were together outside in these booths and these things. There were, there, was, there were celebrations. There was food shared. There were sacrifices made, fellowship offerings. It was a great time. And about halfway through that celebration, there was an amazing event that happened. What I find interesting, before I tell you about the amazing event, is Jesus attended the Feast of Tabernacles. And he went there initially in a clandestine way. See, in John 7, his brothers are getting after him saying, come on, you know, you, you wanna, if you're going to be a, a public figure, you got to go show yourself. you got to get out there. you got to build your brand. The people got to know who you are. And Jesus said, yeah, you go along. And then he went quietly. Even in John 7, there were already people forming opinions about who he was and wondering if he was going to show up. He finally does show up. He begins to teach. He begins to teach about the third day in, in the temple courts, where people could be there, where they could listen, where they could hear him. John 8 begins with a story that your Bibles will say, well, it's not in the earliest of manuscripts, but it's a story that shows the heart and the compassion of Jesus. And the next time he speaks is our passage today. It's John 8, 12. Imagine with me this scene. One of the special things in the Feast of Tabernacles was what was called the illumination of the temple. During one night, or prior to this, four pillars were set up, 75 feet tall. At the top of those pillars were large vats full of oil. And, and then in those vats were large wicks, candle wicks. They say probably made from the old garments of the priests. Instead of throwing them away, they would make, and they're in there. And they're soaking up that oil. And at midnight, four young priests climb up those 75-foot poles. And they have a torch with them. And at the same time, they light the wicks and woof, the whole area is lit up. The Mishnah says all of Jerusalem could be seen. The temple was on the Temple Mount, and it's just bright, and it burns. And while it's burning, the Levites and the people are in the court of the women where everybody could come, and there's celebration, and there's dancing, and there's singing, and it's just an, an amazing time of celebration. Imagine the quiet the next morning as the sun dawns, people are beginning to stir. And Jesus walks in with the smoldering wicks and the smell of the smoke still there. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine the power of that moment? Can you imagine the power of Jesus in that moment saying, the temple is great, this was a great celebration, but I am the light of the world. I am the light. There is no other light. He does not give us any room 
for wiggle room. He says, I am the light of the world. Now bear that in mind. Keep that in mind. Keep your finger in John 8. Flip over just four chapters to John 12. John's gospel moves along quickly. John 12 is where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He predicts his death. Uh, there's, There's people that want to see him. And in the very end of John 12... Jesus cries out again, but I want to pick it up in um, I want to pick it up in verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. John right now is interpreting Isaiah's prophecy. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge. For the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. There's a lot there. We're going to break it down in a moment. In both of these statements, for you and me, there's a clear contrast. We either live in the light or we don't. There's really no middle ground, and that's harsh. That's tough. You know, that, it's, 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 kind of, it's not user-friendly, but it's okay because God says, I, Jesus says, I am the light. I am light. You follow me, you're following God. You see Jesus, you see God. You want to know what God's like? You want to know how God responds to things? Study the gospel, study Jesus. One of the reasons I want to do the Sermon on the Mount beginning in January, because the Sermon on the Mount gives us a full picture of who we are to be in living in this world. And so Jesus says, it's one thing to just kind of pretend you believe. That was what was happening. In verses 42 and 43 of John 12, there were people that believed in Jesus, but they were making their beliefs personal, hidden, private. They're just between me and God. Nobody needs to know them. In other words, and, and really what they were afraid of is letting their beliefs be known and the Pharisees going after them. And Jesus calls them out. He says, no, I'm light. You're going to follow me. You're going to follow me so people know. So what would Jesus say to you and me? You know, here, 2,000 years later, after the manger, how do you and I live as light? What would he say to us? 
First of all, I think he would say this, living the light, living the light of Jesus is a faith choice. That's John 8. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You choose whether you will follow Jesus or not. Now, I get it, and we won't get into it. There's all kinds of theologies out there that say, well, you really didn't choose. God chose you. That's above my pay grade. It always, it really felt like I chose, and I'll let God sort it out later. It's a faith choice. Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. He simply constantly made the offer. Jesus doesn't force anyone to believe his words. He simply makes the offer. What you and I do with the truth and the words about Jesus is our choice. But the path we choose comes with benefits. Or the path we choose can come with consequences. Jesus said, here's a benefit. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. That promise is predicated on the act of following. If I'm actively following Jesus, and following Jesus means learning to do what Jesus did, learning to have the attitudes of Jesus, learning to follow the mindset of Jesus, learning to have that mindset. When I follow Jesus, I'm not going to walk in darkness. And in the Bible, darkness is always spiritual darkness. It's always confusion. Darkness is always seen as that which is outside the realm of God's approval. One could say that darkness is akin to the absence of God. It's seen at the cross. It was in darkness when Jesus sensed that great forsakenness and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The promise for all kinds of, the promise is not for like everything good to happen. The promise is not for life to be all hearts and flowers. The promise is not for an easy lifestyle with no struggles, no concerns, no disappointments. The promise is this. You'll always know you're in the presence of God. He who follows me will never walk in darkness. He who follows me will never sense they're outside of God's presence. But it's our choice. It's our choice what we do with Jesus' words. What did he say in in John 8 that we'll look at in a minute more deeply? He came not to judge but to save. What did I read earlier? If we let him into the muck and the mire of, of our world... We can only, he can only pull us out if we let him in. He came to enter this world, enter to come into this world as a human being, knowing what we face, facing what we face, going through struggles, so that he could be, as the, word, as the book of Hebrews says, the perfect high priest who could make atonement for us. When we follow Christ in the light, We reflect his light. Second thing, we are personally accountable for our faith choices. John 8, or John 12, makes that very clear. Jesus said, I'm not the judge, but there is a judge. I came to save you, but there's one that's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold you accountable, and if you reject 
uh, the, me then, and don't accept my words, he's going to hold you accountable for that. There, there's going to come a time when every one of us will give an account for what we believe. Uh, this upcoming week, for many of our students, is a time of giving account. Uh, we call it finals week. For the, and a funny thing about finals week, finals week for many of us, I mean, and I say us, I'm no longer a student in the formal sense, but I have been a student. When I tell kids how many years after high school I continue to go to school, it kind of blows their mind, but uh, that's the way life is. And the funny thing about finals week is it tends to be a week of, we call it cramming. We go through all of our notes and we try to pull late nights and we, we write those final papers and we put all this knowledge into our heads so that we can sit down and answer it on a test. I've been there. During my first year in college, you know, you get your group of people that you hang out with in the student union and all. One of the gals that hung out with my group in the student union was a gal that had announced to us that she was not studying for finals this year. She said, I mean, we all like, you got to be nuts. What do you mean? She goes, well, if I've done my duty as a student, and this, by the way, was not a Christian college, my first year of college. She says, you know, if I've done my job as a student, I should have been reviewing my notes and reading the material all semester long. I should have been taking notes on the lectures and listening, and, and also I should already have the information in my mind, so why should I cram to study for finals and try to memorize stuff and wear myself out when this has been my process, it should have been my process all semester? She ended up doing very well in her classes. Uh, I think her, her lowest final grade was, would have been a B plus. Now, I have never been at that time nor any time after that brave or that smart, but I was amazed. She was prepared to be held accountable. Jesus said there's one that's going to hold us accountable. When he cries out in John 44, because there were those that were saying, well, we believe in you, but, you know, we're going to kind of hold it at arm's length. And he says, whoever believes in me does, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me, because I have come as light in the world. Jesus said, I've come as light. You believe in me. You believe in the one who sent me. You see me. You see God. And, and, and you're going to be held accountable for what you've done with these words that I've taught. What have you and I done with the truth of God? God will hold us accountable for our faith choices. Jesus came as light, the light. For those who follow Jesus, and there are none of us, there's not one of us in my hearing that follows Jesus perfectly. Please know that. We all stumble. We all drift. We all doubt. We all struggle. But for a follower of Jesus, knowing that, we also know that the day of accountability is not going to be a time that we, can, that we should be afraid of. Because we... As we saw last week, we live a life of love because he first loved us. And John 4, 18 says, 
There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That doesn't mean I can live my life willy-nilly. That doesn't mean I can do whatever I want because, you know, it's all going to be good. No, I want to live as one who's going to be held accountable, but I'm not afraid of the time of accountability because I know, as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. For the one who's given lip service to following Jesus, but knows they pretty much live life on their own terms, I think there should be a little concern about being held accountable. For the one who's chosen to neglect the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, there's going to be a little surprise on that day. It's like the student who walks in and goes, what? That test is today? I thought it was tomorrow. See, part of living as light is not just following Jesus, it's as we follow Jesus to know we're going to be held accountable. And when you've done your job, being held accountable is not a fearful thing. When you've done your job and it comes to your annual performance review, you're not worried because you know you've done your job. When you've done your job and you've studied and it comes to the test, you're not worried because you know you've done your best. Jesus as my light does a third thing. Jesus as my light provides clear guidance. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, doesn't believe in me only, but in the words, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He goes on and he says, if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge them for I came to save the world. And then at verse 50 he says, I know his command, God's command, leads to eternal life. The Father's command, the Father's word, ultimately leads to eternal life. When you hear the term eternal life, don't think of all of the word pictures that people have painted about heaven that lend themselves towards some misinformation. I'm sorry to tell you, you won't have a huge mansion. John 14 Rightly translated is, in my Father's house are many rooms. You get a room. But you know what? The issue isn't that, you know, we, we say, oh, you're going to get all the ice cream you want, and your pets are going to be there. I do believe there's going to be animals in eternity. I don't think Brownie, my dog, will be there, one of them, uh, the best dog on the planet. But I know that there will be animals there. I, 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 I seriously doubt because of the Things I've heard on the golf course, there probably won't be golf in heaven. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things I'm kind of aware of. Uh, but here's the good thing about it. When I start thinking about eternity, I think of, you know, Revelation tells us that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So imagine for a minute, this earth recreated without sin. Imagine for a minute the joy of hearing the best music composed by people who God has gifted. The best art created by people that God has gifted. The best literature. The joy of discovery. The joy of discovering this planet. 
The joy of living in community and in in, in truly a harmonious community where, where each person appreciates the other for their differences, where each person sees one another as equal before God because we're all God's children. Imagine that. And imagine in the midst of that the opportunity to worship in the very presence of the Savior, Jesus Christ, to see him. To live in the fullness of who you've been created to be. To explore and discover and and for humanity to be the, the best, the absolute best of what humanity was created to be. To rebuild a culture that brings glory and honor to God. That's just hard to imagine. And yet, that's a new heaven and a new earth. And the focus is not on what I get. The focus is on who we will be in relationship with the Father, in obedience to Jesus. You see, when you follow Jesus, eternal life is a promise. You don't have to be afraid of death. I realize death is an enemy. I realize death is painful for those of us who've lost a loved one. I realize that. But I don't have to be afraid of crossing over. I've told you countless times, I, I, it, it's in, it, it just impacted me so much that when my, my dear mother learned on a, a Thursday morning in July, 16, almost 16 years ago now, that her cancer had returned and it was everywhere. And that there was nothing more that they could do. Her words were, well, every day, written for my life, was written down before one of them came to be, and I am ready. And a week later, my mom was in heaven. And it was just like she took the news of death and realized it was just part of the next step in her journey. That's one who has seen the Son and seen the Father and and realizes that this one, Jesus, chose to humble himself, chose to be born into this world, chose to grow up, chose to experience the human condition, chose to willingly die on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, conquered death, rose again. And Romans 8.34 says, right now, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. When we choose by faith to believe this and move out of spiritual darkness and enter the realm of spiritual light, that's when we follow him. But there's a fourth thing that we need to be aware of. You and I are responsible to be light to others. I am responsible to be light to others. There is one, that is one more reality we need to grab a hold of. We have a responsibility. We were reminded last week of our responsibility to live a life of love. Jesus is no longer physically here. So how does this light shine? Well, he told us in Matthew 5.14. Jesus said, you, plural you, we, y'all, are the light of the world. You and I who've chosen to follow Jesus are, as it were, the reflectors of his light. And in fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us how we do that. In Matthew 5, 16, he says this. I'll pick it up in verse 14. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I show that the light is in me by the good deeds that I do, by the life that I live. And the result is people, even if they don't know God, they, they see that and they'll give glory to God in some way, shape, or form. Light is attractive. And the ones who draw attention of others to the truth of God, who God is, should be those who attract others to Him. How does that happen? How can I do that? I'm not one of the big beautiful people, Pastor Scott. I'm just a regular person. I just live my life. How does that happen? How, how can I be a guide to someone else? I don't know. I haven't studied like you've studied. I, I, I'm just now doing the Wednesday night, learning to study the Bible for yourself in community course, and I, I'm not always getting it. So how do I do that? It really just comes down to very simply, how do I connect with others? How do I interact with others? How, how do I treat others? See, light provides security. I think you and I ought to be people who are safe. To be the kind of people that a coworker can walk up to you and say, can I tell you something? To be the kind of people that a neighbor can come over and say, hey, we're going to be gone for a week. Will you keep an eye on our house? To be a safe person. We need to be safe people. Someone gave me this word picture, and I like it, this statement. To reflect the light of Jesus means that I should be the kind of neighbor I want to live next door to. That's, you know, that's not hard, is it? If I were somebody else, would I want to live next door to me? I should be the... the type of friend that somebody else would want. You know, am I the kind of friend that if I weren't me, I would still want me to be a friend? That's who I should be. I, I want to be the, you, you take that. You know, I want to be the employer that I would want to work for. I want to be the employee that I would want to hire. You could go all the way around. It's really just be the neighbor you would want to live next door to. It's not hard. I think that's the one thing that's been just hammering at me as I've gone through this whole series. Following Jesus isn't hard. Sometimes life is hard, but following Jesus is just sometimes as simple as like we've said before, doing the next right thing. Oh, this week you're going to find yourself ooing and aahing at lights. We've already done it. I would tell you sometime at, at night, drive down North Avenue going west and go past Sunny Acres. Woo! That place is lit up. Now, if you don't want to spend money, just drive by and look, you know, because then we get inside, then they're going to get you in. But yeah, it's great. We, we, we marvel at our son-in-law's house. He's, his place is lit up. But let those lights be a reminder as they attract your attention. Let them be a reminder 
especially if you're one that's chosen to follow Jesus, let them be a reminder that when the season's over and the lights go down, I'm still a light. I'm still the reflector of the light of Jesus. Let Jesus help you to to be the neighbor you would want to live next door to. And if anyone has yet to make that decision to trust Christ, just know that the light is always available. The offer to follow Jesus is always available. The invitation to walk in the light is always available. Father, thank you for this reminder from your word. Thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. I just pray, Lord, that as we go through our week, as we look at Christmas lights this week, and we will see them, that you would let them be reminders to us, reminders that you, that you are the light of the world, and that anyone who walks and follows you will never walk in darkness. And let that be a reminder that we are called by you to reflect your light to others. And bring glory to yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.